Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be talking about how we look to Christ as our example. You'll be told throughout your life as a Christian, be like Jesus. But hardly ever will you be told what being like Jesus means. Unless, of course, that person is a bad actor that will tell you that if you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to do what they want. Oh my goodness, have we heard that too many times in our lives. You need to be more like Jesus. You know, Jesus would pay higher taxes and vote for higher taxes and start voting to take taxes away from other people. Yeah, we need to do that to be like Jesus. You need to be like Jesus and occasionally call people dogs. Or you need to be like Jesus and let these people into your country. Or you need to be like Jesus and scream at people that we don't like. None of those phrases have any real content to them. In today's reading, St. Paul will tell us what it means to see Christ as our example and the one that we wish to emulate. Let's start in the first verse. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's go back to the first verse here, and we're going to see the context of it. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Here, St. Paul does reveal to us that of all the discussions that he's had regarding the brother who is weak in the faith, in the context of the first century Roman church, that's the 
Jewish converts to Christianity that had a hard time letting go of things like the dietary restrictions, the festivals, etc. and so forth. In today's context, that might be the person who comes out of another religion and has other practices they have a hard time letting go of. It could be somebody with a sinful past that they regret, so they've added certain disciplines to themselves to assist them in their walk with God, etc. and so forth. There's lots of ways to apply who is weak in the faith. But St. Paul reveals that indeed they have failings. They have failures in their walk. They have a weak faith, and having weak faith means having, well, weak results of your faith, problems that will arise. Somebody that can't go to the church picnic because they have spent 20 years being a vegan, and this is a weenie roast where we are having lots of bratwurst, something like that. You have to bear with those failures. He says that we have to do that. Why? Well, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. The word for please, by the way, when St. Paul says not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor, when he says that, the Greek word there is aresko. That has a connotation of willing, voluntary service to another. This isn't about making somebody happy. This isn't about bringing pleasure to them. It is about your willing Christian service in their direction. We need to make that distinction because, unfortunately, the translators of the ESV decided we had to talk about pleasing one another. Unfortunately, in the 21st century, pleasing somebody has weird connotations. It makes us a little uncomfortable. So I would say it's better to say, not to serve ourselves. Let each of us serve his neighbor for his good to build him up instead. If you go around as a Christian flaunting your freedom as though you had license to do these things, you are not edifying or building up your brother or sister in the faith. To the contrary, you are breaking them down by pleasing yourself serving yourself. So he says, instead, build them up. What does it mean to build one another up? Well, strictly speaking, it's edification. It's a term related to construction. A Christian is a member of God's holy temple. He is like a brick in God's temple, which means he must be a part of that building laid up and made to support the whole. To build up a brother or sister in the faith is to help them realize and execute their Christian duties here on earth. Now, how do we do that? While I'm always partial to interpreting scripture with scripture, this is how we ought to do our hermeneutics, so I look at how St. Paul does service. How does he talk about service? Usually through the gifts of the Spirit. As in one body we have many members. This is going back to chapter 12 verse 4. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It seems to me, at least going from the book of Romans alone, that each Christian, having been granted a gift by the Holy Spirit, must utilize his gifts unselfishly for the sake of helping his fellow Christian, realizing their part in the kingdom of heaven. We build one another up. Now, that's also good news, because this means that if you are edified, if you can be edified, strengthened, and built up in the faith, that you may be a part of God's temple, that means that you are not shackled to your weakness in the faith. Good Christians, faithfully executing their duties in accordance with the spiritual gifts granted to them, help build you up in that way so you are no longer weak in the faith. How does this look? One might claim that it's in teaching the weak brother or sister right doctrine to correct them. But if we all have different spiritual gifts, then it's not always going to manifest as just teaching or having a conversation. If you saw it that way, then Christianity is nothing more than a set of doctrines. I have news for you. Christianity is just as much about what we do and how we live as it is about what we believe, what God's word teaches us and that we adhere to. Let me give you an example of how this might work. Say you have a friend who is tired of being a Baptist. He becomes a confessional Lutheran. He goes to your confessional Lutheran church, and he goes to one service excited to hear right doctrine. He's probably also excited to experience communion. He started coming around to your way of thinking about it. And he goes to the Sunday service and he goes, oh my gosh, this is so Catholic. Oh my goodness, this is so Catholic. You realize that he has been raised with the notion that anything Catholic looking, anything that looks too Roman Catholic is evil, wicked, and must be avoided and condemned. He sees the pastor coming up in his vestments. He sees the sit down, stand up sit down, stand up, confess a creed. Oh my goodness, he was raised with deeds, not creeds. And then you have to sit down again. And then you finally get to the sermon and your friend is sweating bullets, wondering if the pastor is going to tell him to start praying to Mary. Well, thankfully, the ladies at the church that are great at hospitality, they have the spiritual gift of service, they keep him from leaving right after the service because they have some nice snacks and some great coffee. Some people out there with exhortation say, hey, we loved seeing you today. You know, this is great having more people in our church. We've been thinking about more evangelism. And you know what? I'm glad that your friend brought you. Why don't you come over next week and we can maybe hang out after the service and do lunch? Wow. Suddenly he's encouraged just a little bit. 
And then the pastor who noticed the new guy showing up through the doors comes up to him and as they're sipping coffee together wants to chit chat with him. And of course your friend, feeling more welcomed to this church, starts talking about the liturgy. He feels comfortable saying, I had some problems with this. And the pastor's like, you were raised Baptist, weren't you? And he's like, yeah, I just came out of an IFB church, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. I got to say, I'm struggling with that. And then the pastor says, well, why don't we have a meeting in my office sometime this week where we can go over what the liturgy is about? Now, trust me, I'm no friend to the Papists, but we do inherit liturgy from the apostolic and Western Christian tradition. Let me teach you about that. And suddenly now, with this one service, this one Sunday service that you brought your friend to, suddenly he's being built up in a very positive way. And everybody working together has helped this brother in Christ start to be edified, to be a real part of God's church here on earth. So, St. Paul writes, For Christ did not please himself, or serve himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Our Lord Jesus took an entirely unselfish way of looking at his life and ministry. So much so that he went to the cross for us, of course, and he rose again from the dead, not for himself, but for us. People forget that St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4 that Christ rose again for our justification. Nothing about his ministry was selfish. So Jesus Christ sees his ministry, his gifts, his everything that he does with this unselfish and loving attitude for you. We are to take the same attitude in executing our Christian vocation, that it is not for ourselves, it is not for our own service here that we do it, but for our neighbor, for those who are in the church that need to be built up. Now, does this extend a little bit to non-believing people around us? Are they your neighbor? In a sense, St. Paul in context is clearly talking about Christians being together and building one another up. But I would say that it does apply somewhat to the cordiality and hospitality and uh, general agape love you should show your unbelieving neighbor as well. Who knows? Maybe God is currently working on that individual soul to bring them into the faith as well. You never know. So if anybody says you should be like Jesus, you should imitate Christ as St. Paul imitates Christ, then the point of that, at least according to Romans chapter 15, is that we see the office that we occupy, our vocation and our spiritual gifts, as a means to unselfishly build others up in the faith, so that they may no longer have weak faith, but that they may have strong faith. This is good. 
because it casts away all of the neo-evangelical understandings of, oh, just go out on a missions trip, pal. That's what you got to do. You know, Jesus went around as an itinerant preacher for three years, and you know what? You should do something similar to that. You know, Jesus went out on a limb on stuff, trusting God for everything. So why don't you just go into the city and be homeless and go do that? No. No. God is graciously given us an easier job than that. No, being Christ-like does not mean laying your hands on lepers and expecting that all of their skin lesions and all of the loss of their body parts is undone. Being Christ-like does not necessarily mean being hospitable to everybody to the point of being a doormat. It is nothing less than the unselfish Agape love expressed through your Christian vocation according to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you are doing a good job as a housekeeper for a hotel, you are loving your neighbor as Christ loves your neighbor. If you are there showing hospitality in the church, assisting people with coffee hour or doing cleanup, vacuuming the rugs out in the main sanctuary, you are helping build your neighbor up. These are expressions of Christian love that are properly understood as Christ-like. And every Christian should be in their Bible, reading their Bible every single day, because all of Scripture being about Christ is going to teach you how to be this way. This is why St. Paul continues in verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All of Scripture, everything written in the former days, St. Paul writes, is for our instruction so that something might be accomplished in us. Endurance, remember being a Christian, the Christian life is an endurance round, not uh, once and done, it's not a sprint, it's endurance. And through the encouragement, you cannot endure if you do not know that there is a positive thing at the end of this race. We might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. May God, using the scriptures that are all about his son, make you more like his son with a positive hope and faith in Christ Jesus so you can be more like him. We forget often that we were saved for a purpose. We read Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then we put our hands on our laps and go, Ah, isn't that nice? Doesn't it feel good to believe in sola fide? And then we forget the tenth verse is there. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of scripture is about Jesus for you. Yes, that's a common Lutheran line. All of scripture is about Jesus for you, but let's complete the sentence. All of scripture is about Jesus for you, that you may be made more like Jesus through sanctification and instruction by God's word. That's the pietist formulation of what the Bible is about. It is not just teaching doctrine. It's also about a transformed life that honors our God, fulfilling our purpose for which Christ saved us. And St. Paul here is masterfully applying that to how Christians relate to one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We were made for good works. We were saved for good works. We were saved that we might be conformed to the image of Christ rather than conformed to the image of the world. And now, through this process, through sanctification, through edification, through participation in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we build one another up, unselfishly expressing that. I don't know about you, but I'd say that's beautiful. That's an amazing thing. And when you see that happening in a church, in a healthy congregation, there is no better feeling. At least for a minister, you look at your congregation with great warmth and pride as a result of it. Now from here, from the 8th to the 12th verse, St. Paul is going to bring this up, kind of addressing the Jews in the congregation, the Jewish converts to Christianity. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written. He's looking at the Jewish members of the congregation and saying, By the way, this applies to you as well. God has fulfilled his promises to the patriarchs. He has shown his truthfulness, O oh, you circumcised members of the church. So this command for you to welcome one another especially applies to you guys. You're the ones out there not welcoming the Gentiles. And by the way, this means that yes, there were Gentiles who were weak in the faith. There were Jewish members of the congregation, probably predominantly weak in the faith due to the former life in Judaism that they had. But this was also an issue with Gentiles, who had been used to going out to the temple of Athena or Jupiter or something like that with the idea of making sacrifices to these pagan gods. And they were being asked to leave behind their religion that they had known for all this time. But St. Paul is presenting to the Jewish converts to Christianity an opportunity. 
He's saying, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Now on account of all of these Old Testament verses, together and having already said that all of scripture is about the Lord Jesus Christ for you and also to edify and strengthen you in the faith so you can be more like Jesus, St. Paul concludes this brief passage by saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God has brought you together, and look at all these Gentiles worshiping Jesus Christ, worshiping the true God of the Bible. This is an amazing thing. This is an opportunity to welcome them and start building them up. I like how one evangelical pastor said it, a guy named Larry Osborne. And I know, I know, megachurch this, evangelicals that. Sometimes they get it right on the issue of welcoming non-believers or new believers into a church, he said the message should be, come as you are, but for God's sake, don't stay that way. We're going to help you to get better. And I think that's the kind of attitude that St. Paul wants everybody in the Roman church in the first century to have. Everybody's got that baggage. Everybody's got that past. Everybody has weakness in their faith. And we need to be considerate of one another as we learn to get along as Christians in the new reality that the church is God's true Israel. But, with that said, by God's word, by his edification, by treating each other as Christ would have us treat each other, being Jesus-like in fulfilling our duties according to our gifts, we're no longer going to be weak in the faith. And that's something to celebrate, especially every Sunday when we get together to have that fellowship being refreshed by the word of our Lord. Well, let me know if that's an issue in your church. If you have any problems like that, please shoot me an email at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. I'd like to hear about how your church is doing and how you treat one another for good or for bad. How is that going? But until then, catch y'all next week for more in our adventure series in the book of Romans. Amen and amen.